Welcome to The Power of Stories, a podcast by women, about women, and for women. Their voices and their stories. I am Sharon Catherine D'Agostino, a passionate advocate for the empowerment of women and girls everywhere and the founder of SayItForward.org. And I'm Yodit Kifle-Smith, a creative dedicated to making sure the voices and stories of women are heard. I have the privilege of working with Sharon on SayItForward.org to do just that. In this podcast, you will meet courageous women from around the world whose unique path to empowerment will leave you encouraged and inspired. Today, we have Helen Tai joining us from Bucks County, Pennsylvania in the U.S. Like many women, Helen Tai has held many roles. She has had successful careers as an entrepreneur and innovator in corporate America, and at the same time has been highly engaged in public service. Helen has held local and state elected offices and continues to be committed to advocacy and addressing injustices in her community. We are so thrilled to have you here with us today, Helen. Thank you. Thank you, Yodit. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so excited to be talking with you today. Yodit and I have so looked forward to this. What in your own life do you think sparked your high level of engagement in the political process and in political activism? There are a couple things that go way back to my childhood. I'm not even quite sure how, but even at a young age, I was always an environmentalist. Maybe it was a little bit having to do with my parents came from China uh, and then moved to the United States when they went to grad school. There was an appreciation for all that we had and not wasting things. And I remember my dad would make us use paper towels more than once. (laughs) And so when I was little, um, my friends and I started this little club. And I don't know if you remember, there was this little cartoon character called Woodsy Owl. And he was a little environmentalist owl. And his mantra was, uh, give a hoot, don't pollute. So we started a a little woodsy owl club (laughs) and we pick up garbage. So that was something that very early in my life, it was very important to me that we not pollute the earth and that we take care of it. Growing up, our family was the only Asian American family in my school. We did experience some racism, mostly from other children. I would experience it and it just never felt fair. Like I knew there was nothing wrong with me or different about, well, obviously I was different racially. I don't consider myself a violent person, but my mom told me one time I got in trouble at school because some little boy said something racist to me. And apparently I punched him. I I must have blocked that because I don't remember that. But those kinds of things, you know, like they burn deep into your psyche. And it was something I didn't want, obviously myself, I didn't want to experience, but I also didn't want other people to experience it. So I think that's really what started me on this journey. We mentioned in introducing you that you've been a part of the corporate world and then as an entrepreneur, being involved in those roles and then later on saying, okay, this is the time to be more focused politically. So what was that jump like? 
I've always, you know, believed it's important to vote. And so I would, you know, vote in primaries and general elections, you know, so I didn't miss elections. And I would write my representatives mostly about environmental issues. And that was back in the days when, you know, you had to type it before (laughs) computers. And I felt like, you know, that I was doing my civic duty by doing that. And what changed for me was during the Bush administration, the second Bush administration, mostly, I just felt like so many of their policies were completely opposite of what I believed in, obviously environmentally, but also in terms of women's rights, the war that they undertook in um, Iraq and Afghanistan. At that point, I would I would be driving to work, listening to NPR and just like screaming whenever I heard what they were saying. And it was just at this point where I thought, you know what, it's not enough just to vote. I have to do more. I started out by organizing phone banks for um, people who were running for office that I supported. And um, I started also knocking on doors for political candidates. And that was very empowering. I felt like uh, I met a lot of people who are like-minded, who wanted to change things. Having conversations with voters, whether on the phone or at their doors, showed me that I could make a difference. A lot of times people agreed, but maybe, um, you know, and that would be great if they were already planning to vote for the person I was supporting. It was affirming. Um, but sometimes people weren't aware or people maybe agreed, but had no interest in voting. And so to be able to influence that and to get people to see that they have a role to play and that they can change things. It was really wonderful. So I became pretty active in my local Democratic committee. I uh, used my professional background and I said, you know what, we need a strategic plan. And so I (laughs) helped our local committee to develop a strategic plan. And then at a certain point, some folks from my local committee approached me and said, hey, you know, there's a position open, the local board of supervisors, and we'd like you to run. That was a big shock to me, one, because I had never thought about running myself. And then two, I had never really been interested in local politics. I had always been focused, like most people, if they're focused at all, they're focused on national politics. I first asked how long the term was, and they said six years. And (laughs) that I was like, oh my gosh, that's really a long time. So my original response was, no, I'm too busy. This was um, after I had started my own consulting business. And so I was, you know, like really trying to make that work and it can really take over your life and you don't necessarily have control over your schedule. After talking about it, I, I did say, okay, well, I'll think about it. And I talked with the folks more and more and realized that I was so fortunate that I lived in this community where people have a long tradition of service and that our community, I feel like is very special because of all the people who have contributed and continue to contribute. And I thought, you know what, I've been living here at that point. I've been living there for 13 years, was working all the time and just gaining the benefits of what all these other folks have done. So at that point, I agreed to run. And then my life really changed because then I was at this much higher level of community service and in the public eye. I couldn't go to the grocery store in my sweatpants anymore because (laughs) I would see people all the time and they'd say, hey, Helen, you know, what's going on with this? Or can you help me with that? It was really an interesting transformation because I was the first local elected official in my township to really engage the public 
Uh, most people, they would do their job, make sure the roads were paved and such. I saw things happening that I thought were potentially damaging for our community. So I really engaged the public to come out and speak up. And then we were able to flip our board, which had been um, majority Republican for all time. And then we were able to start making positive change instead of just for the first two years I was there, I was blocking bad things. And then we started making positive change. And so it transformed me too, because I saw the possibilities if I could get people engaged that we could really make change. And and so that was really um, invigorating. Would you help us understand what that transition was from being politically active to being a candidate? When I ran for the local office, the board was five older white men. And so I was the only woman on the board and a little bit or a lot younger than most of the the board. There was some condescension. And I think it wasn't until I started like getting more of the community involved that they saw that I wasn't some stupid girl that they could just manipulate. It was certainly harder than working in the corporate world, which is also dominated by men. But there are also a lot of women leaders. In this case, I was the only woman on the board. It was a little bit lonely, but it was also really a good thing because I wanted to make that change. And I think other people were inspired by that. And then when I ran for state office, there are obviously a lot of women state representatives, but we were still also very few as a percentage. Um, That has changed a lot, actually, in the last, let's see, I ran for state office five years ago. Since then, a lot more women have joined, which has been really wonderful to see. It was a positive thing that people saw that women could be the right choice for for an office. And then I saw also sometimes men getting mad that they didn't feel that that was right. And, you know, everybody's for women's rights until it affects you personally, right? So you, you might have a man who really believes in women's rights, but if it displaces them, then maybe they're not mm-hmm. so for it. And, you know, I saw that too. Um, but when I ran for state office, On the Democratic side, there were three women who were interested. Once the Republicans saw that we only had female candidates, because they originally had, I think, two males and one female, they pushed the female candidate forward. There was like this little moment in time where being a woman running for office was an advantage, and maybe that will continue. Oftentimes, it can be a blur between like your just personal life and like the things that you're doing publicly and really finding that balance of not overextending yourself to the point where you no longer have, you know, the things that you can do for yourself or your family. So how was that transition for you? It can become all consuming. You know, when people see that you're effective, then more people want you to help them with, you know, whatever they're working on. So I felt in the last couple of years that I've gotten really overextended Um, After my term ended as state representative, then, you know, several organizations asked me to join their boards. And I was very selective at the beginning. I joined the board of an environmental organization and of a gun safety organization because those were two of my passion areas. That was really good. And I was felt like I was making a positive impact with those two organizations. And then George Floyd was murdered 
And the local NAACP chapter asked me to help lead a criminal justice committee. And I just couldn't say no. (laughs) It was so important to me and, you know, to the world. And so I do feel like that that's something I need to do better. And I have started backing off of certain things because I can't balance it all. It gets very stressful. In my corporate work, to me, it was never like these existential issues, right? Like whether we sold more products didn't have the same impact emotionally for me that preventing police violence against Black people or stopping people who shouldn't have guns from accessing them. Those to me are so emotional. And so it's not just the time, but it's also just the emotional aspect of the work that I'm doing. It can sometimes be exhausting, but then at the same time, it can be very energizing. The Pennsylvania legislature has two branches, the state house and the state Senate, and that has been controlled for decades by people who are opposed to any sort of restrictions on gun access. And the state house Democrats got a one seat majority. And so we're able to put bills forward that hadn't been voted on, even though they'd been introduced, you know, really like basic things like universal background checks, ensuring people uh, store their guns safely. And we were able to get votes on those, which was a huge victory for us, you know, after working on this for so long and and nothing, nothing ever happening. That was very rewarding. And then also seeing um, a lot of the money in that Biden has allocated toward environmental work, climate change and mitigation, you know, those kinds of things are what we're working toward changing. And so that's very rewarding too. So that's why I can't say no a lot of times because <laughs> I feel like we got to do this. We have to do this. Somebody has to do it. So on that theme of somebody has to do it, uh, what would you say to listeners who say, I don't have time to run for public office? How would you encourage them to engage with whatever time they think they have? Mm -hmm. Voting, I think, is essential. So many of our elections are determined by who doesn't vote versus who does vote. It's a right, but it's also a privilege. There are many, many societies and countries where you don't really have a fair vote or you're, you know, there's only one candidate where you're not even able to vote. And so I, you know, I feel like that's such a sacred responsibility. So voting, educating yourself on the on the candidates and on the issues. Voting itself is very easy. <laughs> educating yourself maybe isn't necessarily easy because there is a lot of misinformation. Of course, not everybody can run for office, not everybody should run for office, but you can always support candidates who you believe in. You can help them by making phone calls, you can knock doors, you can tell your friends and neighbors, um, you can donate money. And then, you know, there are smaller things too. You know, as I mentioned, I belong to um, a few different boards and the board service, it's not that time consuming. But if you don't want to serve on a board, you can also do tasks for different boards. So, you know, like on the um, NAACP committee that I've been working with, you know, sometimes we just need somebody who can write stuff for us. 
So if you're a good writer and you're willing to write a press release for us or write a letter for us or something like that. So there's always small things you can do and you can use your talents. And I think that's really important. A lot of times people feel like I'm not using my talents and they're being forced to do, say, like administrative things like stuff envelopes. You know, most people have some talents. If you have like graphic design talent, IT talent, those are really um, necessary for campaigns and for most organizations that are trying to do advocacy work. And listening to your story, it's clear that from a young age, you believe that you had a voice. You know, how can we all encourage other women and girls to confidently use their voice and claim their power? I think the best way is to lead by example. You know, there's, of course, the famous quote from um, Mahatma Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. And it's it's so true because so many people sit on the sidelines um, waiting, either waiting for somebody else to change it or not believing it can change. I ran into a couple people last week, which really surprised me. There was one, one man, he was running for school board in probably one of the toughest districts in the county. And he told me that he still had my campaign sign and that I had inspired him to run. And it was so touching. And then um, another woman I just talked with last week because we were all celebrating the elections. And she said that when I ran is when she got involved politically. And now she's very engaged. You know, being out there and doing these things and letting girls and women see there are other women out there who are doing this. You know, we, we just have our first Black woman Speaker of the House and the State Representatives this year. And every time I hear her speak, I'm so inspired. She's so passionate. She's so intelligent. And she's so strategic. And she's making things happen. That inspires me. And I think she inspires um, others. The best way is really just to do do what you want. Be the change you want to see in the world. and, And others will see that too. Well, Helen, thank you so much for your time. You know, one thing that I got is just the importance of doing the little thing that really have profound impact. And so thank you so much uh, for being with us. To our listeners, thank you as always for listening to this episode of the Power of Stories podcast. Helen, thank you for joining us today, especially loving what you said to remind us that voting is a sacred responsibility. It's an important reminder for every election. Thank you, Yodit. Love doing this with you each time. And big thanks to Lisa DeJavine, who is the co-producer and editor of the Power of Stories podcast. Helen, is there something that you would like to leave our listeners with? You know, Sharon, you've always been such an advocate for women and uh, women's voices. And I think doing things like this um, with Yodit to, to highlight you know, the stories of women. I think it's really important for girls, women, and men to hear these stories. So thank you for doing it. And we'll just keep working and keep doing our little part to change the world. And to our listeners, we invite you to visit sayitforward.org, a place where you are welcome to share one or more stories about your unique path to empowerment. Or you can read the stories of other women and girls. This is Sharon Catherine D'Agostino and Yodit Kifle-Smith signing off for now and hoping you'll join us for our next episode of the Power of Stories podcast. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, we do hope you'll give us a review and recommend the power of stories to a friend. And lastly, we want to remind you of the power of your story. Thank you.